My brave lad, he sleeps in his faded coat of blue. In a lonely grave alone lies the heart that beats so true. They will find him and know him amongst the good and true. When a robe of white is given for that faded coat of blue. No more the Welcome to War of the Rebellion, Stories of the Civil War. I am your host, Leon, and this is a reading of the regimental history Under the Maltese Cross, Antietam to Appomattox, The Loyal Uprising in Western Pennsylvania. 1861-1865, Campaign's 155th Pennsylvania Regiment, narrated by the rank and file. This is Episode 28, Chapter 14, Petersburg Campaign, Weldon Railroad. June 18th, 155th, assaults enemy fortifications in front of Petersburg. Disastrous effect of charge. 155th Regiment transferred to Sweetser's Brigade of Griffin's Division. Official orders of General Griffin congratulating 155th on brilliant conduct in charge of 18th of June. 5th Corps headquarters established at Avery Mansion. Siege of Petersburg entered upon. Jerusalem Plank Road and Weldon Railroad. Distressing scenes of battlefield. Colonel Pearson, reinstated in command, participates in engagement. Major Ewing, slightly wounded in foot. 155th in trenches. Departure of 62nd Pennsylvania. Recruits of 62nd Pennsylvania transferred to the 155th. Warren's headquarters at Avery House. Accuracy of picket firing, covered ways, mortar plants, explosion of mine, Griffin's division destroys railroad, impetuous charges of the Confederates upon Union line, repulsive enemy, furious dash upon 155th and bloody repulse, Corps headquarters of General Warren at Yellow Tavern, casualties. Assaults. Siege of Petersburg By midnight of the 16th of June, 1864, the entire Army of the Potomac, with all its numerous wagon and artillery trains, had successfully moved from its positions in front of Richmond and the Confederate Army of General Lee, and crossed the James River without the loss of a man, gun, or wagon. General Wright's Sixth Corps covered the operation, being the last troops to reach the right bank of the James. The Navy also assisted, with its armored ships and gunboats in covering the passage of the river, but the movement being undiscovered by the enemy, neither Army nor Navy had occasion to interfere during the passage. General Hancock's Corps, on the 14th, was the first to cross, with all its infantry and four batteries of artillery, to the south bank of the James. The 5th Corps, late at night on the 17th of June, was ordered by General Meade to make an assault in strong columns upon the enemy's works in front of Petersburg. At four o'clock on the following morning, the attack was ordered, to be made by the 5th, the 9th, and the 2nd Corps, with portions of the 6th Corps and the 18th Corps, and other troops were to be held in readiness to support the attack. The 155th was with this 5th Corps assaulting column, but on the morning of the 18th, 
it was found that the enemy had abandoned the entrenchments which they had so successfully defended the day before. The ground in front of the points previously assaulted was thickly covered with the killed, and the trenches at those points filled with Confederate dead from the assaults of the previous day by Smith's, Hancock's, and the Ninth Corps. Finding the Confederate line abandoned, General Meade at once ordered the army to press forward and to make renewed attacks on the enemy's inner works before they could receive reinforcements from Lee's army. The Fifth Corps, on the left of the Ninth in this new advance, had a very considerable distance to traverse to reach the second line of entrenchments of the enemy's main line, and it was exposed to a very severe artillery fire during the advanced movement. Deep ravines and a Norfolk railroad cut, which was held by the enemy at its northern end, and from which an enfilading fire from batteries and skirmishers was kept up at frequent intervals, made it very difficult to cross. On the 18th of June, General Meade ordered a simultaneous attack on the enemy's works, and fixed the hour at twelve o'clock, directing all the corps to attack at the same hour with strong columns. General Burnside's and General Warren's corps was kept occupied in endeavoring to drive the enemy out of the railroad cut in their front, so as to get close enough to the enemy's entrenchments to assault. The ground to be passed over was open and exposed to the enemy's artillery fire for a long distance. General Meade again ordered assaults by all the corps with their whole force at all hazard as soon as possible, as he found it useless to appoint an hour to effect cooperation. 155th makes bayonet charge. All the corps assaulted the enemy's works late in the afternoon, and at hours not widely apart, but were repulsed with considerable loss. General Warren's assault with the Fifth Corps was well made. Griffin's division being particularly conspicuous and heavy losers. The 155th Regiment, which had but a few days previous been transferred to Sweetser's Brigade of Griffin's division, led the advance in the charge on this day, many of its men being killed within twenty feet of the Confederate works, and many more, crossing over that distance, occupied the moat around the hostile works unobserved by the enemy behind the same. This charge of Griffin's division and of Warren's corps, with fixed bayonets, was no more successful than the other assaults. Lieutenant Colonel John Ewing led the 155th on this bayonet charge and gave the order to fall back only when the enfilading fire of musketry and artillery of the enemy supplementing the direct destructive fire made the chance of success impossible. In this charge, the loss of the 155th Regiment was greater than in any other engagement during its campaigns. Captain Samuel A. McKee of Company I, a veteran of the Mexican War, a brave and capable officer, fell mortally wounded leading this charge, dying on the field of battle, a true soldier's death. On the death of Captain McKee, the boy captain of the regiment, A. H. Heisley, took command of the storming column during the remainder of the battle, and when the order to retreat was given by Lieutenant Colonel Ewing, conducted the movement successfully under the direct and enfilading fire of the enemy. Captain Heisley received commendations from both Lieutenant Colonel Ewing, commanding the regiment, and General Sweetser, the brigade commander, for his cool courage throughout the action. Both Captains Heisley and Kilgore were particularly in demand as experts in the Zouave skirmish drill during the campaign. Colonel Joshua L. Chamberlain, of the 20th Maine, in Griffin's division, also led his brigade under the destructive fire of the enemy. Colonel Chamberlain was wounded in the leg, 
resulting in the loss of a limb whilst in command of his brigade in the assault. He received the distinction of being promoted on the field of battle to the rank of Brigadier General by General Grant. General J. Bowman, Sweetser of Pittsburgh, commanded the brigade and was conspicuous for his bravery in this severe engagement. It occurred but a few days before the term of service of his regiment. The 62nd Pennsylvania Volunteers expired and made it a soldierly test. 155th Complimented Generals Meade and Warren both issued complimentary orders to Griffin's division on the great valor and gallantry displayed by men in this brilliant charge upon the enemy's fortifications. The following official dispatch was forwarded from the battlefield that night by General Griffin to General Meade, referring to the part taken by the 155th in the charge. Quote, Headquarters, 1st Division, 5th Corps, June 18, 1864. Colonel Locke, Assistant Adjutant General, 5th Army Corps. Colonel, in answer to your statement just received, I have to state that nearly all the dead and wounded were recovered. A very few of the 155th Pennsylvania are still, I fear, outside, perhaps within 20 feet of the earthworks. Very respectfully, your obedient servant, Chaz Griffin, Brigadier General. Unquote. The next morning, at 9 o'clock, General Warren officially dispatched to General Meade a report of this charge, from which the following extract is given concerning the participation of the 155th in the Great Charge. Quote, Headquarters, 5th Army Corps, June 19, 1864, 9 a.m. Brigadier General S. Williams, Acting Adjutant General, Army of the Potomac. My division commanders report that all their dead and wounded were recovered last night, except a few of the 155th Pennsylvania Volunteers, Griffin's Division, which lie within 20 feet of the enemy's works. G.K. Warren, Major General, Commanding. General Schweitzer, before departing with his regiment, the 62nd Pennsylvania Volunteers, for Pittsburgh, a few days after this memorable charge, wrote Colonel Pearson, who had again been restored to the command of the regiment, that as he had vouched to General Griffin for the 155th Regiment in requesting its transfer to his brigade from General Ayer's brigade, he had asked General Griffin how he was satisfied with Pearson's Zouave Regiment, and that Griffin had emphatically replied that, in his opinion, no better troops or regiment existed in the Army of the Potomac, as their actions in the desperate charge on the 18th of June had fallen under his own personal observation. General Griffin subsequently issued a former order congratulating the 155th and the other regiments of the brigade on their brilliant conduct in the charge of the 18th of June. Incidents of the Charge The Battle of the 18th of June was fought on what is known as the Avery Farm, on which was erected a fine mansion of colonial style. This house, which was situated between the lines, was unoccupied, and was frequently struck by shot and shell, being, by the advance of the Fifth Corps quite close to the Confederate fortifications, the scene of the assault of June 18th. This family mansion, by the advance of the Union lines being well within the same, later became the headquarters of General Warren and his staff, attaches, orderlies, and telegraph operators, connected with the Corps. The advance of the Fifth Corps on the 18th of June to within 20 feet of the enemy's works where assaulted by General Sweetser's brigade, to officially stated 
was the high watermark of the charge of Grant's army and the siege of Petersburg. Immediately after the charge, on the following day, the regular siege of Petersburg was entered upon, the 155th still holding its advanced position. The Fifth Corps works, as laid out by Journal Warren, were commenced, and a line was constructed on the position gained by the advance of Sweetser's brigade in that memorable charge. A most remarkable incident occurred during this charge, when Lieutenant Colonel John E. Wing, finding that his men were falling thick around him, and that it was evident that his small force could not capture and hold the works of the enemy in front, ordered the men of the regiment to fall back. Instead of obeying this order, Sergeant William F. Colner of Company G, Private James A. Rankin of Company I, and a number of others of the regiment, thinking it safer to continue their advance, ran the short distance to the enemy's fort, being about a distance of not more than twenty feet, and took refuge in the ditch or moat surrounding it. In this position, they were completely protected from the direct and enfilading fire to which the regiment had been exposed on falling back under Lieutenant Colonel Ewing's orders. These members of the regiment, probably a dozen in number, remained in this hazardous position undiscovered by the enemy until night, under cover of which they in turn succeeded in escaping, crawling back on hands and knees within the Union lines. Private James A. Rankin of Company I was one of the parties who secured shelter in the moat of the Confederate fortification. Becoming impatient and expressing fears of being taken prisoner, with its known horrors, Rankin, against the urgent entreaties of all the comrades who were sheltered in the ditch, made a rush before dark to gain the open space between the lines, and thereby exposing himself to Confederate sharpshooters, was instantly killed, his body falling back into the ditch. During the night the enemy, out of humanity, believing the parties in their front to be wounded or engaged in removing the dead, did not open fire on the moving parties in the space between the lines. Captain McKee's body and that of Private W.A. Lycan and David Lear of Company E, instantly killed in the charge, were removed in the night by comrades without molestation by the enemy, and buried in the ravine below the crest from where the charge was made. Among the numerous escapes in this assault, of color-bearer Sergeant Thomas I. Marlin, who received a slight wound on the chin, which paralyzed his jaw for several days. If the charge of the 18th of June already described, in which the 1st and the 2nd Brigade of Griffin's Division lost so heavily, and many of the 155th storming the enemy's works were killed within twenty feet of the same, had taken place the day previous, the regiment would have undoubtedly have succeeded in carrying the works, and entering Petersburg, as during the night of the 17th, General Beauregard had been reinforced from General Lee's army, Anderson's, and Hill's corps, having both arrived and secured positions before the final Union assault was made. Lieutenant General Grant, to whom General Meade reported the action on the advance of June 18th, made the following reply. Quote, City Point, Virginia, June 18th, 1864, 10 o'clock p.m. Major General Meade, I am perfectly satisfied that all has been done that could be done, and that the assaults today were called for, with all the appearance and information that could be obtained. Now we shall rest the men, and use the spade for their protection, until a new vein can be struck. U.S. Grant, Lieutenant General. Unquote. 
then began the long and tedious work of besieging the city of Petersburg under the supervision of the army engineers. Frowning redoubts, long lines of breastworks, mortar batteries and fieldworks of all kinds were constructed. The sortie, the bond-proof, the mine, the countermine, the covered ways, were all now to be added to the experience. Of those who had not participated in the siege of Yorktown, this necessitated the encircling or covering of two railroads, the Weldon and the Lynchburg, as the siege of Petersburg demanded. June 21st, 1864. The disastrous repulses of the several storming columns had convinced General Grant that defenses around Petersburg were impregnable against direct assault and henceforth the energies of the Union Army were to be directed against General Lee's lines of communication with the South. On this day, active operations were again commenced by the main army, having, in view, the capture of the Weldon Railroad. Battle of Jerusalem Plank Road The Second Corps advanced across the Norfolk Railroad, and then marched rapidly southward, followed by Griffin's Division and the 155th Pennsylvania, under an intensely hot sun and stifling, blinding clouds of dust. In the afternoon, the Second Corps, in advance, struck the enemy in the vicinity of the Jerusalem Plank Road, which runs southward from Petersburg. From the nature of the earthworks constructed by the enemy, parallel with the Jerusalem Plank Road, it was very evident that Lee understood the very great importance of the Weldon Railroad, and was ready and determined to defend it. A severe engagement took place on what was known as the Davis Farm, about three miles south of Petersburg. The Sixth Corps came up during the night following, and formed on the left of the Second Corps, prepared to move in conjunction with that corps against the railroad. The right of the Second Corps rested on the Jerusalem Plank Road, with Griffin's division, including the 155th of the 5th Corps, on the opposite side of the railroad. On the 22nd of June, when the advance against the Confederate works was renewed by the 6th and 2nd Corps, desiring to mass more closely, the left of the 2nd Corps began to press toward the right, thus creating a gap between the two corps. Quick to take advantage of this mistake, the Confederate general, Hill, pushed Mahone's division into the gap. As was usual with the enemy, the attack on the Union lines was made with tremendous energy, resulting in the capture of many Union prisoners. On the afternoon of the 22nd of June, the Fifth Corps, being camped in reserve, resting from its labors on the fatigue duty and work of the siege and picket, was suddenly summoned to break camp and to double-quick half a mile to the front in the vicinity of the Jerusalem Plank Road, the advanced position in the breastworks held by the Second Corps. The enemy had attacked and forced the breastworks occupied by General Cochoran's Irish Legion, consisting of a brigade of New York regiments, and after meeting considerable resistance, the Confederates broke through the line, captured many prisoners, and carried the breastworks. It was to relieve this part of the line that General Sweetser's brigade and the 155th of Griffin's division was summoned. The 155th and the brigade at once advanced beyond the lines of, of Cochoran's Irish Legion, which had suffered terribly, and the regiment at once deployed as skirmishers, being only a few yards from the enemy in places. It was quite dark, and the obscurity was further deepened by the woods in which the battle and skirmishing was being conducted, 
but the brigade held its advanced position until daylight, when it advanced and drove the enemy from the Union breastworks, which they had captured the day previous. The scenes on the field, when Sweetser's brigade and the 155th advanced through the lines of the troops of the Second Corps, surpassed in terrible agony and misery any that the regiment had previously experienced. This peculiar fact was caused by the closeness of the range of the enemy's artillery and musketry fire in the woods and roads. The 155th was obliged at one point of the action to change position and move across the Jerusalem Plank Road at a point commanded by a most perfect range of a Confederate battery. The officers in command of the regiment withheld the order for the movement across the Jerusalem Plank Road and leaving the woods sheltering it until the enemy's battery in question had fired its volley along the Plank Road and then before the battery could be reloaded to fire again, the regiment double-quicked across the narrow road to the new position on the line assigned it. A previous volley from the Confederate's battery, commanding the road, had poured its deadly shot into a regiment less fortunate than the 155th, while it was moving across the fatal point of this road. On the roadside crossed by the 155th were dozens of men struck and mortally wounded. Piled in the middle of the road, crawling to the side, many shouting in their delirium of home, mothers, wives, and others appealing most piteously to the Almighty for relief. The dead, also strewn upon the road from the same cause, were very numerous. As stated, it may be doubted whether a more horrible sight than that met by Switzer's brigade in rapidly crossing the Jerusalem Plank Road at this point was ever witnessed on any battlefield. As to the desperate character of this action, General J. Bowman Sweeter, who was commanding the brigade and whose long and honorable service and all the campaigns of the Army of the Potomac had earned for him a brevet brigadier generalship, expressed the opinion that this affair of the 22nd of June on the Jerusalem Plank Road was one of the severest engagements in which he or his command had ever participated. The 155th was fortunate, however, in sustaining comparatively slight loss in this engagement, which resulted in recapturing the works taken from the Second Corps. Incidents of the Engagement This was the first engagement in which Colonel Pearson had participated since his altercation with General Ayers and suspension from the command of the regiment in the Battle of the Wilderness. Lieutenant Colonel John Ewing was slightly wounded in the foot in this action, and four others of the regiment were wounded. One of the comrades of Company E received a wound under most peculiar circumstances. His name was Hugh Bain, who, although hale and hardy physically, and at home a coal miner by occupation, and used to laborious work, was discovered after his enlistment and settling down to duty in the service to be mentally weak. From this fact, commanders of the company would never allow him to take charge of a gun or musket in the camp, on the march, or in battle. Bain was assigned duty to be formed with an axe or a shovel or other peaceful implement, work which he did cheerfully. By some extraordinary oversight in this day's engagement, Bain, who did not realize what danger was, accompanied the regiment and company to the relief of the position of the Second Corps on the front of the line, armed with a shovel. Bain stood up at one point of the action, when all of the regiment in response to orders of the officers had lain down and were hugging the earth as closely as possible to avoid the enemy's shots. In plain view of the regiment, Bayon arose, and seeing the enemy's line very distinctly, 
turned around to inform his comrades of the fact, when the enemy sent a mini-ball through his jaw. It is said this occurrence was the only time that poor Bane was ever known to look serious. His wound, however, was not dangerous. He was taken to the hospital and, after recovery, discharged for mental incapacity. For half an hour, in the same evening of the 22nd, the 155th was under the severest shelling at the closest range it had ever experienced, the shells in great numbers striking in their front, in their midst, and in their rear, ricocheting and bursting with crashes as if the heavens were falling. And yet, amidst the storm of fragments of ragged iron, the regiment hugging the earth closely suffered comparatively little harm. The V Corps was pushed up close to the Confederate works, occupying ground a little to the eastward of the direct Petersburg front, being the identical position in advance which it had captured on the assault of the 18th of June. After recapturing the works of the Second Corps from the enemy, and holding them a day or two, the 155th went back into reserve bivouac. 62nd Departs for Home Is where we will pick up next week. So let's go ahead and talk about some notes. I don't have a whole lot today. The things I do want to talk about is the 155th always finding itself in these grand charges, huh? And getting to within 20 feet of rebel trenches with an open bayonet charge is pretty, pretty crazy. Oh my gosh. Sorry if you can hear my, my window moving. It's pretty windy out. 20 feet within rebel trenches. That's, this is some pretty hardcore soldiers right here. I mean, they've been at it for a while now, but take a drink, guys. Water, orange juice, something else. Take a sip for these brave soldiers, especially this close to Memorial Day, huh? It's crazy how desperate that charge must have been. Moving on, talking about the Siege of Petersburg. Goes on for a really long time, so... I've included three different videos on rebellionstories.com, my website, for this episode, which is Chapter 14, Petersburg Campaign and Weldon Railroad. That'll be on my website. Intermingled in between those three videos are going to be the pictures from this chapter so far that we've read through. So head on over and come check it out. Also, the artillery being placed on the road, having to wait until the cannons had fired to cross the road, must have raised the pucker factor for everyone at that moment by quite a bit. And coming across another regiment who had been waylaid by that artillery must have been hor horrifying. Especially with how well explained and visualized it is, since they're probably using canister as overwatch to watch that plank road so people can't get across it, right? Absolutely brutal. I am glad that Colonel Pearson is back. That's what I'm talking about. He deserves to be with his regiment. Especially since they're such crack troops and he helped them get there. But that's what I got for today. There's a lot of movement going on. So if you're interested, got some videos to watch. They're really good. And of course, some of them are from Battlefield Trust. And I'd like to remind everyone, I did release a free Patreon episode. Some of you have already listened to it. Thank you very much. And the next episode for Company K will be also released for everyone to listen to. And then, uh, you know, if you, and then if you like it, you can uh, support me on Patreon. 
but I just wanted to introduce it to you guys. So anyway, it's Memorial Day weekend. Guys, have fun. Please stay safe. And remember to take some time to remember these boys in blue and all of the other boys who fought in the U.S. military. I'm heading out to a Grand Army of the Republic cemetery to put up flags. If you get the chance, stop by and see yours. And just go through and look at some names and some of the units. I've got a Medal of Honor winner in mind. I'll post a picture when we're finished for uh, what we're doing for ours, for our cemetery. So anyway, and also I'm going to take this time to thank my first Patreon subscriber ever, Douglas Webb. Thank you, sir. I greatly appreciate it. And it lifted my spirits greatly to see that. So every time someone becomes a Patreon subscriber, I will mention you in the very next episode. All right. Thank you very much. See you guys next week. Bye-bye.